0: Welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango.
1: And I am your co-host, Buddy.
0: And today we're going to talk a little bit about Marvel Snap. Before we do that, Buddy, why do the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast.
1: Okay, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. This is, this is classic us content. A new big game has come out, Marvel Snap. It was uh, created by a bunch of Hearthstone devs who left Blizzard to make their own company called Second Dinner. Um, they've been working on that game for three years at this point, Uh, revealed Marvel Snap kind of mid-last year, went into open beta pretty soon after that, full release later down the line. Um, I have not played any Marvel Snap, but because I play and watch a lot of Hearthstone, I also have been watching a lot of Marvel Snap content, I guess you would say. Um, I also watched a friend of mine climb climb up to Infinity. Um, So I feel like I have a cool understanding of what things are... In terms of how, how, like, the game plays, um, but not a super, uh, well-established set of, you know, like, expectations for, like, I have never myself had to make any of the decisions while, while playing the game.
0: Yep, Um, um, I would say, on the flip side, I have been playing it, um, not super extensively, but a bit for, like, the past, uh, week or so, um, I installed it at the recommendation of a uh, of a youtuber um, uh, like on a podcast uh Pat stares app mentioned it I thought it sounded interesting and so I've been playing I am still in bronze but that's just because it's like it's not like you know you play it's not like placing in like something like league it's like you just you have to walk your way up through the ranks and I have not been playing obsessively so you know um it takes time I'm not putting any money money into it yet um uh Apparently Arahe needs you to order Grubhub bears.
1: You need me to order Grubhub? Uh this is, no. I was gonna get burgers for me and Buddy, but they, but they have this thing. <laughs> oh, oh, oh okay, they're telling a story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh. Anyway, so okay, yeah, you need to walk up the ranks, and this is also so. The one thing that I don't have a good understanding of when it comes to Marvel Snap is how do how does one acquire cards? How do how how do the cards get into your inventory?
0: So, as you play with cards, you you get these little bubbles that are called boosters, and when you get boosters, uh, if you get enough boosters, you can spend the boosters and the free the free credit called um, credits and you could spend them to upgrade the appearance of your cards, right? So you go from the normal card to, like, a border break, right? Like, you know of, like, a magic card where it, like, goes outside the border of your cards, and then it goes to 3D, yeah. right? And as you do that, that upgrades your collection, like, line or something, like your collection level. And at certain collection levels, you get new cards. and That's how you get all the standard base cards. And that takes a very fucking long time. Also, if you're
1: playing free, I'm assuming. The idea is that they want you to pay for variants and then you'll upgrade your line faster.
0: So, indirectly in that each variant upgrades in, upgrades separately, I think you can directly buy boosters, but like like it's like so I have my Captain America, I have two different Captain America cards, right? Each I only use one in my deck because you only you have a limit of one per deck, right? But if I get like Ten Captain America boosters. The first level costs five, so I can upgrade both of them once. The second level costs ten, so like if I got fifteen boosters, I could uh, uh, or twenty boosters, I could update upgrade one variant twice and the second variant once, and that'll give okay, me a so total of, like three levels. And the
1: boosters are specific to Captain America.
0: Yeah, specific to carts, yes.
1: Okay, interesting. Wow, that is complicated. Yes, um, the, the other
0: half of this is there's a season pass that also has carts on it. Um, and the, those are, like, the harder-to-get cards. Um, I think after you get them off of, after you're, like, off of the season pack pass, you have a very small chance of unlocking them when you open, like, boosters or something like that. Um,
1: okay. So to compare that to some other, um, comparable systems, Hearthstone, obviously, you just have packs, right? You have packs in many sense. The, 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 an expansion comes out, there are packs associated with that, your, um you know, you. the big thing now is there's duplicate protection. So, you will never get a, a duplicate of a card. You will always get a new card anytime you roll, like, a legendary or whatever. Um, and then, in Magic Arena, there are packs, but there's also wild cards, and you can trade in those wild cards to get specific target. Oh, and then, obviously, in Hearthstone, you can... Disenchant cards into dust, and then use that dust to create cards manually. Um, and then in Magic Gathering, you have you have packs, and you have these wild cards that you get, and you can use the wild cards in order to specifically target certain cards from certain sets that you want to add to your decks, right? Yeah. So is ma- there anything more about Magic that I'm not remembering?
0: So, yeah. So Magic Arena has um, so wild cards. Um, you can like get any. You can trade a wild card of a certain rarity for any of a card of that rarity. Right, so a common wild card gets you a common card. Um, you get less wild cards of the higher ones. Sometimes you'll open a wild card out of a pack, but it's like every n packs you open gets you a wild card, uh, and then like the it's like I think it's like every every like n packs gets you a silver, and then like every like or like every pack gets you a silver, and every five pack gets you a gold, and every like fifteen pack gets you a legendary or something like that. Um, okay. Uh, uh, I don't remember the exact numbers obviously and then on top of that if you get duplicates out of packs it starts building towards a vault and when the vault gets full then the vault explodes and you get like some large amount of wild cards um, Man,
1: is it crazy to say that I kind of dislike that stuff a lot? I don't know, uh, maybe <sighs> you know I was, I was coming into this prepared to sort of say that Hearthstone is the worst of these Just because I think raw packs is pretty bad as a system, which is why, obviously why people want to make these changes. But I really don't like the sound of the Marvel Snap one. I also don't know how Legend of Runeterra works. Legend of Runeterra, though, uh, my understanding is that that the monetization in Legend of Runeterra is very built towards cosmetic. You basically get all of the cards right up front. Um, so, and that's actually kind of a problem of the of the game, I, I have heard. Um, yeah. So, I can't really comment on Legends of Runeterra.
0: I haven't played Legends of Runeterra in a while, but that was the thing. And so, for Marvel Snap, right, like, it's convoluted, but you do get, like, it's not like, it's not like Matchburr or Hearthstone when you have to open packs to get what you want, right? Like, if you yeah. pay for the season pass and you work through it. You will get all the cards on the season pass. You will eventually get all of the cards in the base collection. It just takes time, and there's no—it's not. There's no like other way to get it, so it's not really like a pay-to-win thing. All the monetization is pushed towards customization, you know, and, and aesthetics. I think, but like,
1: okay, yeah. I don't
0: think I don't think there's any direct like you know you can't just you can't got gotcha your way into powerful cards, right? Like, um. Uh, and like the opening season but there's like a new season pass that you get immediately and the top capstone there is blue marvel who is a 5 cost um i forget what his power is like 3 i think but his his ability is every other card on the board gets plus 1 um so it's pretty good it's a pretty it's like my immediate my my first deck that i've built that i've been doing pretty okay with is a is essentially a weenie deck right like lots of low cost minions and he's good for that Right, because like, lots of minions means his ability is more effect- more effective. Um, or like, they're not minions, right? This isn't like magic sure. or Hearthstone, right? Like the more heroes, right? Because they're all they're all people that you theoretically would recognize, like
1: yeah, and heroes and villains, right? Yeah. Um. Okay, and then so t- to cover the gameplay piece of this, the idea is uh, there's a fixed number of turns. There's only five or six, six. turns. Six turns. Yeah. Six turns there's only six turns.
0: One. So this this is actually, I think this is a good place to put it in, is there are three lanes, and each lane or each area has a location on it, and the location has a specific effect, right? One of those locations makes a seventh turn. Um, Wow. um, uh, And they have a bunch of effects, and they're very random. Um, Yeah. uh, In fact, that's like probably the biggest luck-based thing in the game, or one of the biggest luck-based things in the game, and it can be kind of frustrating. But, um, um... there's four slots on each side of of a lane, right? Of a location, right? So you can play four cards, and your opponent can play four cards there. Um, cards cost energy. Energy takes up one a turn. Um, and you get to... And you use them to pay for cards, right? Like, um, And then uh, each card has a power value on it. And at the end of the sixth turn, each... Uh, Whoever has won two of the three locations wins the wins the match. Okay, right. So, so like if I have one location with five power and my opponent has ten, he wins that location. But if on the other two locations I'm I'm beating him, I still win the the, the whole game.
1: Okay. Yeah. And then most cards have effects as well. It doesn't seem all that often that there is a card that is a vanilla, you know, five, five for five kind of thing. Right. Um, there's some cards that don't have effects on the board. For instance, uh, there, I know there are cards that only have effect in your hand, which is to say they do stuff to your hand. They let you draw cards. They let you do whatever. Um, uh but they don't actually but when you play them on the board they are effectively just a 5 5 for 5 um but most of the cards have an effect on the board and you create these decks it is a what you you have one of each card and it's 12 cards is that right yes that is correct okay yeah um and also do you, do you shuffle and re or what happens when you run out of cards
0: you don't like they like i mean i guess it's theoretically possible but i have not seen it happen like It is very hard to run out of cards, because you you start with a hand of three, and then you draw six cards over the course of the match, and there's not that much draw in the game. Um,
1: Yeah, that definitely seems to be true. Um, And then also, yeah, you start with a hand of three, you draw six cards, that would put kind of nine. There's also only 12 spots on the board, so it's not like there's any more value than having 12, right? Um, But there's also no fatigue, there's no decking someone out with mill, anything kind of of along those lines. Um, Okay, that makes sense. Um what other mechanics? The the locations don't reveal automatically. They reveal progressively. So on turn 1 you see the first location, then the second location, then the third location on yes. turn 1, 2, and 3. Yes. That's right. Okay. Um under what circumstances you can't reveal the locations early? This is something I've seen. People will play stuff on a blank location and they don't even know what it does yet.
0: Uh yes. So you want to know why you would do that? Yeah. All right couple of things. One, to the Watcher is a 1-2 that lets you see the locations early. Two, oh. um, uh, one of the common mechanics, and this is like the mechanics for the Guardians of the Galaxy, is um, you play it like, if you, the, their ability is on reveal, if your opponent has played a card at this location this turn, um, you uh, like, you get some bonus, right? Like, it's usually a numerical bonus, but like Mantis is you can draw a card from your opponent's deck. Um, so, um, I, I know, like, early, and I don't... Maybe this is, like... I, I don't know how much this is in, like, the, the, the kind of, like, high-level game, but in, like, the low-level game, right? Like, people will often play on that first location, so if you're trying to dodge a Guardian's card to not give it the free power, you might play it on the middle. Also, not all the location effects are positive, right? Some of them are, like... Um, and the restriction and whatever they have on them doesn't come into effect until they're revealed, right? So, like, one of them... Is uh, like cards that are, um, or like
1: so. Maybe the easiest one of these is Bar Sinister. So this is a location that says when you play something here, you fill your whole board with this. You essentially clone yep. one, two, three, four heroes on that location. It's not like I could play that on a blank location and then see four guys pop into existence, and we would both intuit, oh, Bar Sinister is this, right? It that that would only trigger. When the location is revealed, is that right?
0: Right, and also the guy you play will not get duplicated. Right? Well,
1: yeah, you, yeah, because it is only on play that they get duplicated. Yeah. Right, so, okay, so that so, does make sense.
0: So the a good example is there's a location that if you play something there, it destroys the creature, right? So you either have to like sideways get power into that location or play a card on the location before it's revealed, right? So stuff like that. Um, I think like I tend to not play immediately on or like and you know so it's like a gambling aspect. There's a lot of like kind of like chance aspects in this game, right? Like um, sometimes it's like if you have a card here, you get some advantage, and that will happen immediately when it gets revealed, right? Sometimes it's bad because there's like one location that's like if you don't have a card here, you get an extra energy every turn, um, and so if you played early there, it sucks. Um, uh, but like all or like. There's one location that's like on turn three. All cards here turn into the Hulk. The Hulk is a no text card, but it's like high value. It's six. He's a six cost, but twelve power. Um, and so, like on by end of turn three, it's hard to have that filled. So if you are have already started filling it, it's have it. You know, you you'll you'll already be part of the way there. Stuff like okay. that. Okay.
1: Yeah, and it also seems like people give up on a location. my experience watching people play is. It kind of tends to become a fight for one lane, which is to say that mo- most of the time by the middle of the game, let's say, you know, kind of in turn four, five, three, four, five, people have already placed a little bit and ev- and, and it seems like the fight happens over one lane where the other two lanes kind of, you kind of give up on a lane and you go, you know what, I'm not going to worry too much about this though, and I, but I want to beat him out on this, on this, like, place right um, and so as a result of that nobody ever takes all three lanes at least in the games that I was I was watching at the time it is almost always you know, Two of three, and almost always the late the late stages of the game is about fighting over kind of you know you are defending where he's where he's coming after you and you're attacking where you the lane you think he he is weakest and you're kind of giving up on one. Does that make sense kind of on a strategic level?
0: Uh yeah, I have I have found in my experience it's not so much that, but I'm playing against like lower level players and I think computers a lot, so. I like you can tell when it's a computer because they follow like very set plan. They don't really take advantage of their cards' abilities. Um, like there's this card Medusa. She's a two, she's a two for two. Like so, standard vanilla card is X for X plus one, um, uh, with the exception of like Hulk, who is six for twelve. Um, but um, uh, Medusa is a two two card that gets plus two power if she's played in the middle lane, and like there's basically no reason to play her anywhere else unless like you, yeah, like, you okay. just need a body somewhere and the computer will regularly like play in the first thing for no good reason. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, the mechanic that we forgot to talk about is the snap part of it. Um, which is, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> true. You're, you're a a mechanic. So each game is worth, um, it starts out at one point and this point is how you go up and down in ranks, right? Uh, you gain enough points, you go up a rank, uh, it's 10 points per level. Um, if the game goes to the final round, it will be worth two points. But you can abandon ship earlier, and it'll be worth one. But at any time during the game, either player can tap it, and that's the snap, and the value doubles. And the value will double the next, like at the start of the next turn. So if you don't want to risk it, you can retreat, and retreat at the lower cost. Um, both players can do this once, right? So... Max value for a game is 8 eight points, um, you know, double twice, or double, double twice, and then it doubles on the final turn, so, um, uh, it's, there's, like, some element of bluffing there, although I very rarely see people, like, retreat, and again, this might be because I'm playing in lower level play right now, and, you know, people just be like, yeah, I'll snap, I'll try and get them to back off, and then no one ever does, um, but, uh... I have,
1: yeah, I have seen a lot of snapping. Snapping tends to just be a, I made a good play button, in my experience. Uh, just like, when somebody makes a strong play, you know, they really, like, shoot ahead in one of their lanes. They they find some really powerful synergy. That, that tends to be, boom, snap. And then, um, I don't know. Yeah, that... I, I, I I'm interested by that. Uh, I guess I I won't be I won't be that flippant because I that that seems to sort of suggest that it's kind of like a mindless thing. But it is just that um, I think most people understand what like a kill zone is or what it what it feels like to get someone into a kill zone and say oh I'm pretty sure I'm gonna win this. Um, and it's not uncommon to just like kind of boom I'm gonna I'm gonna snap on that and then you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna continue forward. I guess I don't see snaps every game though. Um there are a lot of games that just seem kind of close and nobody really wants to like wants to to go hard. I don't know. I feel like if I were um if I were evaluating this uh In the moment, I would maybe have different – I would definitely have different feelings about it. How how do you you approach the decision whether to snap or not to snap?
0: I – if I'm going to snap, I usually snap pretty late when I'm pretty sure I've got, like, uh, something there, right? Or I'll, like, counter-snap to kind of, like, be like I'm not backing down. Um, That's interesting.
1: Counter-snapping – I I didn't think about it in those terms, but it actually does make a certain amount of sense to sort of – you know, it's like it's like in, in. Have you heard of this in poker, where where it's checks around the table, and then the last person just does a raise. And it's like they don't even have good cards, but they just want they just want people to put skin in the game. You know right, what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. yeah, actually, like come on, let's fight, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what that's what that sounds like to me.
0: Yes, yes, that is that is there is there is a a fair amount of that. Um, it's also like part of it too is like like I see what you say. Like I made a good play therefore I'm going to snap, but like it's really hard to know like, who, like, this isn't like, say, Magic, right, where like, there are turns where, or Hearthstone, right, where there are turns where like, you could be playing a bunch of different stuff, it's like, the last turn of the game is the only opportunity in like, 90% of games to play your most powerful card, assuming you've drawn it. Right, like, and so like, knowing how that swing is gonna happen is like, like, I assume the high-level players know what the meta is and can like do some predictions based off of that, but like, I like I had a game, um, I think today where like I counter snap someone and he looked like he was in a really strong position, but my six drop is Heimdall and Heimdall moves everyone one everyone on your side, uh, all of your other cards one space to the left. That just totally changes like the numbers on the board if you set up for it, right? Like, there's yeah, no, there's no predicting that, right? Like I know that because I'm I'm playing I'm playing against it, but like as an opponent to something like that, I've I've been caught off guard by things like that. It's like, oh, he dropped a thing that just, like, totally fucked up everything, right? Like,
1: um, Yeah, that's actually really interesting. Especially because, like, I don't know, it's, it's uh, like, I'm trying to create, you know, similar... Um, I, I want to frame this in terms of, like, Magic and Hearthstone, right? Like, these are the games I'm really well-versed in. I understand the, the mechanics behind them a lot, right? Things like tempo, right? Uh, or value, right? But the reality is that... It doesn't seem like Marvel Snap has a lot of that stuff. For instance, the Heimdall thing, where somebody can just kind of, like, drop one card and, like, win the game, is that a combo, de- like, deck? You know what I mean? Like, how would... Is it control? It's like, this stuff doesn't make any sense in in those sorts of traditional card game terms, which I think is kind of uh, interesting. That is, that is an interesting sort of problem. Um, especially because you... The game has a finite turn limit, right? There is no... Late, ga- there there are no decks that win on turn four or decks that win on turn twenty, right? All decks win on turn six. Sort of win on turn six by by necessity. Um, God, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, e- even again, the simplest six drop is Hulk, comes with the comes when you install the app. Six drop for twelve. That's a huge fucking swing, right? Like yeah. that will if that will outright win most lanes, right? Like they're like you know. The the other example is like there's a five drop five drop Iron Man is he doubles he he doubles the, the score currently on, on the board. But like you can get into like weird situations where like he's like I've seen out one twenty eight points out of that lane. Um because like he dropped it on like the sinister bar and there was some, some other effect had put power on him. So he just like doubled himself like seven times. And it was like crazy. Um
1: yeah, especially because the locations themselves are um, are are random, um, yeah. right? Because th- th- that's also maybe a really interesting thing, right? Like one of the one of the fundamental natures of something like Hearthstone or Magic is that the board itself doesn't matter, right? The only thing you are interacting with is your opponent's cards. You you can only interact with your cards and your opponent's cards. Technically speaking, in Hearthstone, you would also include a little rider that says your opponent's class and your class because there are cards that pull from outside of a deck. Um, so, for instance, you know, like, I can discover class cards, right? Um, or I can discover cards from another class which disincludes class cards, those those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, right, the only things that are going to, like, all of that stuff is contained inside of the space of the deck itself. I never have to contend with, you know, playing on the Castle Nathria board, makes a some effect happen right um but the other sort of read uh but like that that that's not true with marble snap at all because like you you can't make i guess you can't make a a deck with the assumption that you're gonna blow out a game when bar sinister is up right like oh i'm going to play whomever this and with the with the goal of playing him on Barcelona because it's not going to show up every game, right? Yeah. You can't guarantee that, um, and uh, and that's a really interesting sort of conundrum to, to to deal with.
0: Yeah, like it's like so like like I said, I've been playing a lot of uh, a weenie deck that I made. One one of the uh, squirrel girl, uh, one for one, but she puts two squirrels on the other two locations, right? Um, there are locations that are like flat, like. Like there's one I think that's like minus three to all cards here. You play a squirrel on that location. You go from zero power to negative two power, and you are losing that lane for having played a card there, right? It's like like you can like you can lose that lane by by like your opponent can just have nothing there and still one that you know and still win the lane. It's 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 uh it's 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 a weird set of circuit. Like the the, the board is like the the board is the board's crazy I guess is the best way to put it right yeah. like
1: you know I and it's okay so I this is interesting I'm on record I I like random effects in card games like this I think part part of strategy games is you have to be able to deal with unexpected stuff and the way you create unexpected stuff is random stuff and so in Hearthstone for instance um the way you deal that is with random card generation it's a lot of random card generation where you just say hey discover a spell discover a this you know find like like add 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 a, a random card to your to your hand that does x y or z right um and part of the game is around you know you have to strategically play around those sorts of those parameters you have to think about what's the possibility space and how do and how do i play around that sometimes you're going to get blown out by high rolls sometimes you're going to do fine right that that kind of a thing um i Feel like that's the frame that I want to evaluate the locations in, right? You, as a strategic player, need to build your deck such that it is going to function in all of the lanes, and you're going to approach every single game differently. Not just because you're playing your opponent, right? Because you know, if I'm playing, uh, well, what's a good example of this? If I'm playing Miracle Rogue in Hearthstone versus Frost Mage. I know what that matchup looks like 90% of the time. Frostmage is a very straightforward burn deck. Miracle Rogue is this, like, pop-off high-roll deck that wants to play a million cards in a turn and then use a thing that gets plus one plus plus-one, every for every card you play in the turn and create a big guy that's a 12-12 and your opponent doesn't have removal, so you just smack him in the face two turns in a row and you win, basically, right? Um, those are... I, I don't want to say those are linear experiences because there's really no experience that are linear, but they're, they're straightforward, right? Um, and when I load into a deck, when I when I when I as a miracle rogue load load into a frost death knight, uh, th- I I kind of know the way that this game is going to play out just based on those two sorts of those two sorts of facts. Um, but in a world where I have to deal with these random locations, um, that really complicates things. That makes things much stranger. Um, are there are there. I guess are there situations where you feel like you played around the location in a strategic way that felt good versus there are times when you got high rolled or low rolled by a location being revealed and going like, oh, well, I guess I lose because the thing on the third thing was this and I just can't react to that.
0: I have never felt like a location revealed and I felt that I've lost. I felt frustrated that I've been like, you know, uh, you know. But my, you know, I've been hurt by it, right? Like, I think the most frustrating ones are when, like, it's like throw a random card onto the board or into people's hands, and like the other person gets a much better card than I do. Like that, just that that feels really bad. But normally, it, it feels like a fine thing to play around, right? Like, doesn't feel like, like most locations are relatively neutral output-wise, right? Like, there's one that's like throw a one minus two ninja um for both starts, right? It's like, yeah. Maybe I don't have a way to deal like you know maybe I don't have a way to deal with that but like and my opponent does but like that feels like a okay he he you know that that's like the strength of his deck just happened to to deal with it the only ones that feel like I said frustrated are the ones with the grant random cards and when the random cards are just disparate right like there there's like a space I think that gives you like a free like it was like a free random six which is like you know pretty powerful or uh that's like pretty powerful right but like. When it happened to me, I got one that was like this very specialized six it's like a six zero with a non reveal effect that I think it was like for like discarding cards or something. And like I didn't have any discard cards in my deck, so I guess I'm screwed, right? Like, you know, or I guess I guess I got the, the, the bad draw there. Um I don't think the, my opponent in that game ended up playing his six six drop, but like that, that's the only thing that feels really bad to me.
1: Okay, is that because of the opponent? Like, just thinking about a player psychology thing, right? Um, Players hate when their opponent lucks into a win, right? Rather than you know, so for instance, uh, it doesn't feel bad with like you know, talking about PVE versus PVP. It doesn't feel bad to lose against a really hard ai in starcraft because the computer doesn't humiliate you right? right the computer is built to win but it does feel bad to lose against a person in in starcraft just cuz the the underlying psychology of knowing there's another person on the line who thinks worse of you psychologically sucks, right? And I feel like there's a, an effect of that here, which is to say that like, you know, when a random location grants a card to someone and they use that card to beat me, that feels shitty and unfair because they didn't earn that card, right? Like the location just gave them a free win out of nowhere and that's and that's lame and that sucks. Uh, whereas you know, if um uh uh I don't know. You know, uh like the location They're playing. You're playing a weenie deck, right? And the location buffs all of the cards by a bunch, and you're specialized in putting a bunch of cards on the board and really taking advantage of that buff. That kind of feels better in in a way because it's like, okay, well, at least I understand that like the location is random and it benefits his deck more than mine. But like, (laughs) ultimately, it is that that's just like luck luck of the draw. And there's a difference between like luck of the draw and tide rolling someone to death, basically. Yeah,
0: I will I will say yeah. that, like, even when it's felt frustrating, it hasn't been like it felt like it was fatal. Like, I never felt like, I have not yet felt like a roll has given my opponent a win outright. Right, like, even if you get a card that, like, absolutely dominates, then you've got two others to fight over, and I think that that really helps, right? This is not sure. like, you know, being turned five against an aggro deck and like you know, a board wipe pops out of nowhere and like wipes the board, right? Like you know, and resets the board state and
1: the aggro. Yeah, deck like the they they board. top deck. I do this all the time. Top deck brawl, you win the match because they're an aggro deck. They can't recover from one brawl, right. and you had no other answer in your hand, and we're literally about to lose. And the top deck is what is what saved you. I, to be fair, I would actually say uh, I think that's fair in in a Hearthstone setting. Right? Like, uh, there's a little bit of, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! Heart of the Cards kind of, like, bullshit to that, but I typically never get angry at that sort of, um, I typically never get angry at, like, that sort of a loss. Uh, Or, or, I, I, like, that's that's a fine win, because I constructed the deck to have a certain number of, like, brawls and removal, and that, that that all feels kind of fair, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you, when you build the deck for it.
0: Like, I guess maybe if, like, maybe if you were playing, like, some sort of, like, aggro deck in a class, uh, that doesn't have, um, like, that doesn't have any, like, broad base removal, and you, like, random card, like, a brawl out of that, right? Yes. Maybe it would feel bad.
1: Absolutely. That would feel, that would feel much worse, because it would be the thing. Yeah, Lou in the chest says, how dare you disperse the fine name of the king of games? I'm not trying to disperse Yu-Gi-Oh! Because Yu-Gi-Oh! doesn't include deck building as, like, a piece of the game's sort of, um internal logic i guess is what is what i would call it um so you know like in Oh, they are all playing with the exact same deck every time and they don't take any pride they don't have any strategy that goes into the construction of their decks right but i do take pride and i do put strategy into the construction of my deck right so when i draw the brawl that i put into my deck and you know even if it is just a top deck and i use that to win the game that that feels fair because I built the deck that way. Similarly, right? There are times when I I lose because I don't bra- draw the brawl, and my answer to that is. I didn't draw the brawl. I needed to draw the brawl, but it's not like my my deck is unsound. It's not like it's just, you know, that's just luck of the draw, right? Something I can brush off, essentially. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't be
0: playing card games if that was a thing that, like, so bothered you that you couldn't deal with it, right? Yes,
1: exactly. But there are cards, like, so, for instance, one of the biggest uh, archetypes in the Hearthstone meta right now is called Thief Rogue. Thief Rogue has a card called Jackpot that says add two spells from another class that cost five or more, right? Well, that can, those vary wildly, you can get a 10 mana mage spell that you discovers two dragons. It puts two huge dragons on the board for 10 for 10 mana. That rogues can typically cost that for the cast that for free because of how because of how they build this thief deck or whatever. But then there are also Five mana cards that are actual dog shit. There is a there is a demon hunter card that's that's six mana. It is summon two minions from your deck and they fight each other. So you summon two minions out of your deck and they and they bop heads, right? And it is built for a very, very, very specific kind of demon hunter. Like builds the deck this way. Um and uh, and if you random into one of those on rogue. It's a dead card. You basically can't even fucking play it. It's so bad and lame, right? Um, and that that kind of thing, you know, like that—that's the randomness that I think f- can feel bad to lose to when it's just like, oh well, they happen to discover this like incredibly amazing card and just like absolutely wreck the game off of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, and and even at some level, right? Like I like. I, I, I get why that would be frustrating, but at some level, if you're building your deck around, like, proccing that effect, at some level, it's like, well, that's what the deck's for, right? True. The thing that be frustrating about with it in Marvel Snap is, like, it could just be, like, a thing that happened on the board, right? Like, it's not like, like, at least the, the thief thing that you describe, the, the rogue is trying to do that, right? Like, that's his gameplay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they
1: have built the. De- this is an archetype that they are that they are building for, and a, with a bunch of synergies that they are combining together to make a like a cogent package, right? Yeah,
0: Marvel Step, it just kind of happens sometimes, and but it I will say it's not that frequently, and it hasn't been that frustrating in the times I've experienced it. I'm sure that there will be a time when I will, like, be mad and almost throw my phone across the room because something like this happens, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. I I, I think Ben Brode's got a good head on his shoulders. I'm pretty sure he knows, like, how to to balance that, that relatively well.
1: Um. Yeah, that's interesting. I also think that part of this is that the games are short, right? Yeah. Um, which is a really interesting, like, for instance, one of the most frustrating things that happen in a game like Hearthstone, um, or even Magic, is when someone, when you are getting ground out, right? Um, by someone who doesn't really have much of a win condition, but they have locked down the board. So in Magic, you know, for instance, we might call these stack stacks, right? Um, stack stacks are called that because they stack a bunch of effects on top of one another to essentially lock everyone else out of the game, right? They just they make your they make your spells cost one more and theirs cost one less. They they make it so you know the first spell played for three or more mana every turn gets countered. They make it so that the the first spell played for three or less. mana in every turn gets countered, right? Like, all of these different effects that you just can't even get on the board. You can't just, you can't do anything. But these decks are just, like, they are prisons. They are not knives, right? They don't kill you by by beating the shit out of you it is not a hammer right it just locks everyone else out of the game and then they slowly figure out some way to put a 5-5 on the board and they swing with it 10 times and blast everyone else out or everyone scoops and it's just like god does that fucking suck to play against is that the least fun you know you've you've ever that's like the
0: classic dave deck right like or what i what I, what i used to call slow mill which is, like, lock everybody down and, like, have 64 cards in your deck so that when they hit 60, you win.
1: Yep. Um... Um, That's not something that can happen in Marvel Snap, it seems like, right? Because, you know, the game has this finite... And, you know, they tend to last five or ten minutes, uh really five minutes it feels like it feels like games are really yeah, quick five to minutes me. might
0: be long like you know like yeah
1: like when what when I'm when I'm is it, it, it's, it's interesting because I'm watching I'm watching this on Discord right so I'm watching somebody play on Discord or sometimes on Twitch um and uh, and I'm doing something else and it's just like there are times where I will be writing something on one screen and I look over and they're like oh my god the game's over you know what I mean like so, two two turns have happened in the space of 90 seconds. And the game is, and the game is ended kind of thing. Um, which is, which is interesting because, uh, that's, that's not a, that's not a normal experience.
0: No. I, and that's, that's part of why, like, part of why I like it is because it is so short, rate. Right? It's not like a thing that I have to like get invested in, right? Like, um, I could like play a game while I'm like brewing my coffee or like, you know, waiting for the train or something like that. Right? Like, um...
1: Yeah, I absolutely feel that. Especially because, uh, like, this is the kind of thing that made me like Heroes of the Storm over League of Legends. A League of Legends game takes forty-five minutes to an hour, right? Um, a Heroes of the Storm game, twenty minutes flat, baby. It never feels bad to to lose a game of Heroes because it's just like it's just like over so soon that you don't feel like it, you, like it, like it sucks. I guess. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I want to compare this to my experience, this is is going to be weird, but, like, I've been playing a lot of Solo Shuffle, and there are definitely times in WoW and Solo Shuffle where it's like, oh, it's round two, and one of these guys is, like, just, like, outclassed or in, like, you know, like, did not get his MMR matched right or whatever, and, like, he's, like, he's, like, the whipping boy, um, and, like, like, there was one, there was one game of Solo Shuffle I played where it was... two, four DPS, or I guess, yeah, yeah, four DPS and two tanks instead of two healers, and Monk's pretty fragile, so I just, like, kept being the guy that got targeted and, like, got killed as, like, this is not fun, right? That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. But that's, like, relatively short, right? Like, that's, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: probably less than 20 minutes, right? Like, it's probably, like, 10 to 15, um, but it still feels, like, agonizing. Um, it, it, I I... And I, but I get what you're saying, right? I've definitely been in this situation with the like heroes, like, yeah, whatever. 20 minutes, fine. Um, I wonder, yeah,
1: if- yeah. This is also the difference between a good key and a bad key in Mythic Plus. Like, one of the things I've talked about is the, you know, the nature of doing Mythic Plus. And when you're cruising and when you're timing keys, I could do, I could spend four hours without even blinking. It's like, it's effortless it's effortless because it's just like oh yeah I've, I, I like you you're you're hitting your timers you're doing whatever the moment you fail a key it's like uh all of a sudden all of that like momentum becomes this lead weight on your chest and it just becomes like oh my god are we really wiping the same boss over and over again i hate this so much like that kind of a you know that kind of a thing. Um, which is interesting which is uh yeah. which is interesting
0: very kind of like when it rains it pours type attitude
1: yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, so, anyway, uh, that's the the time. I feel like is probably the thing that is that that helps Marvel snap out a lot when it comes to when it you know when it comes to some of this stuff. Um, when it comes to emergent gameplay, do you think that there's a lot of like cool options that are that are created by random card effects, um, by the locations, that kind of stuff, where it feels like every game isn't the same, and you are playing you know you are playing an entirely new match every single time, or or do uh, even even outside that. Are you fall, falling into certain, like, archetypes or whatever, um, you know, when it comes to your game plan and how you're approaching uh, certain certain decks and locations?
0: Yeah, so, I, I haven't played enough, <coughs> quite, like, quite that the same-y yet. Um, mm. And, I, again, I think in my tier of play, I can't really speak to, like, archetypes, right? Like, I, I don't, like, a lot of people I'm playing against also have, like, a limited card pool. So, like, I see a ton of Sentinels, but that's because he's one of the, you know initially available cards he's a two three or, or, or a three for two and his on reveal is put another sentinel in your hands right like um he's like a decent value card and good for like filling your hand if you want to like throw more down on the board i run him in the weenie deck just because he's like good for putting bodies down right um but like and like like yeah like i said um i try and do- I, you know i look to dodge Guardians cards, right, sometimes, but again that's because they're relatively accessible and like you get a couple of them early and not, and because at this point in my game journey the collections feel kind of homogeneous, right like I'm not seeing a ton of 90% of the cards that I see are ones that I have seen before Um, and it's not like they're that um, uh, exotic ones right, like it's like Do you
1: you feel like you ever have the ability to, to make a read of your opponent and make like predictions?
0: Um no, but I think that that's because... Like I said, because I'm at a low, low-level low, low okay. right? Like- yeah, because
1: if I were making a positive case for Magic or Hearthstone, I think th- these are what make Magic and Hearthstone great, right? When I'm really into Hearthstone and there's a really good meta, I'm learning all of the decks in the meta and I could... You know, this guy's toast used to do this actually, which which, um, which was like almost like a parlor trick, you know, um, like a, like a party trick that he was doing. Which was he would predict all of the cards in in his opponent's hand based on his opponent's behavior, and a lot of the time that he was right. And and I think most good players, like who are playing at kind of like a diamond legend level, do do this to a certain extent. Um, but like, man, for instance, in My big run on Quest Hunter earlier this year, right, when I made Legend for the first time, Um, you know, part of what I'm doing on Quest Hunter is I have freezing traps and I have ice traps, and I need to use those strategically, and part of that is making a read, and I'm like, okay... What is my opponent going to do on their next turn? Do I drop the ice trap here and am I going to catch something good with it? Because there are times where you will blow out an opponent just with that, right? You it's turn 7, you drop an ice trap, they spend 8 mana on a spell that gets bounced back to their hand and it costs one more. It's like they that's a game losing play. That is basically say that is basically me spending one mana to time stop the opponent right um to you know take a take an extra turn after this one that kind of a thing um and i think when when a lot of these trading card games come alive is in those moments where you become um you know where you you get that ability to to make a read and to go i think he has this and i'm going to set i'm going to bait a trap or i'm going to make a play that that kills him or i'm going to you know uh i'm going to use some piece of disruption that disrupts a really core piece of his uh of his game plan um all of that all of that kind of stuff i guess it doesn't sound like that that's sort of a thing that's like you're you're capable of in marvel snap but i almost sort of wonder do you think you would be capable of doing something like that in marvel snap given the random nature of the locations right because, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons that I'm able to make the reads that I'm able to make is because I have piloted my deck for 150 games, and I'm really well-versed in all of the different interactions with it, and I know what it looks like to be fighting other decks at the top of the meta, um, and, what the, and what those decks, ex- like, have, right? Um, and... <clears throat> and even with something that's like generating random resources like, um, uh, like a, like a thief rogue or whatever, I at least understand the contours of the thief rogue, even if I can't predict what random cards that they're going to, you know, like what the random cards are going to get. When they play the four mana, two, two that makes their next spell cost zero or whatever, right? Like, I understand that's a power swing turn for them. And when they have certain, you know, certain big powerful cards in the bank that they can replay over and over again with stuff like, uh, uh uh, you know, Tess Greymane is a is a card that replays every card you played from every other class in the game. Um, I understand like the power involved in and and what effects like Tess Greymane is going to have. I I sort of wonder, given the nature of the of the random locations, wh- is it possible to find you know the like a like a meta where someone could make reads on the on that level? I want to say yes because the the decks are super consistent, right? Should be really easy to make a read of a twelve card deck.
0: Yeah, so I, I think eventually, like if I keep playing I'll get there, right? I'll get it to like a level of play where like that's like a thing you can do. Um but I wanna say that I think like the thing that appeals to me most about this about the game right now is like every turn, especially the later turns, feels kind of like a a version of you know, those like, you know, screen hearthstone screenshots where they'll be like, here's the board state, here are your cards in hands, solve this puzzle to win. Right? Like
1: Oh yeah, lethal puzzles, Sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right? Like it's 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 like that kind of you know, obviously it's not lethal, but like it's like, you know, I'm looking at this board state, how can I like maneuver such that I will be winning and like win the game ultimately on turn six, right? Like like there's been a lot of time like in my weenie deck I run Hulk as my six drop just because he's like such a, a powerful one, like you know, powerful swing right and i'll be like well if i drop him here that will like almost certainly swing the board and like maybe i can catch him off guard like but it's like and it's not it's not quite a lethal puzzle right because like i can't be assured of what my opponent's going to do but i can be like but i can be pretty sure of what my opponent's going to do right like um and so i i i find that super fun so uh that's that's been that's that's been the draw for me so far
1: okay that's 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 definitely very interesting. I'm so you're running both Heimdall and Hulk. So sorry,
0: in my weenies deck, I am running Hulk. In I I don't have all the cards for it yet, but I'm running a kind of sort of toy stealer deck just because I like that kind of archetype. Um, and I'm running Heimdall in that deck because Heimdall, like I, it's basically like kind of like fuck. It, when I ran out of toy stealer cards, I went with like fuck with the board state cards, and so Heimdall's like a good kind of like. I am going to upend the game state in one move, right? Which is probably why he's like a, a six drop, right? Like, um, everybody moves the, everybody moves one square. That's like incredibly, it's incredibly, it's, he's it incredibly powerful, not necessarily in like the raw power sense like Hulk is, right? But like in the kind of like ability to kind of like screw with anybody's ability to predict what the board state will be, right? Yeah. Like, um, it's not all powerful because if you're running any number of cards, you won't be able to move all of the cards in the way that you you think. You'd like, see, so you can't fix everything, but it is it is pretty nuts, right? Like, it's like, oh, all of a sudden you are no longer win. Like, like I, the way I used it to the greatest effect was like I was like losing the left lane and uh, the center lane, and I just, or and I was and I was I was losing left lane, I was winning the middle lane. And the right lane was kind of like underplayed, um, but I used I used Heimdall to shift to win the left lane and like take my extra cards from like the kind of like throwaway right lane into the middle lane to win that lane as well. And that was in the last turn, and that and I won the game on it.
1: So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because I think I. Um, I sort of have this thesis, this is this is a really roundabout point. I really I have this thesis that players misunderstand friction in games, right? So for instance, something that I hear in wow all the time is that none of the mythic plus affixes are fun. And it's like, okay, well that's that's not the point. They're not supposed to be fun. They're challenging, right? They suck and they make you do things that make it harder, but overcoming a hard challenge is part of what makes Doing Mythic Plus so interesting and compelling, right? There's a there's sort of a a a card game corollary to that that I think is called that is disruption, right? And Hearthstone for a long time famously had zero disruption, basically, right? In Magic, there's a lot of disruption in terms of counter spells, right? Your opponent goes to do something, you stop it right um as it's happening right um there's disruption in terms of discard uh i'm a black i thought sees and I, I i take the best card out of your hand discard it you can't use it right um there's effects that it will exile your you know exile your graveyard um there's effects that will prevent cards from being cast meddling mage um uh med- or not meddling mage pithing needle actually meddling mage might be might be that's the actual pithing of the needle of the on, a, on a body yeah uh now i want now i want to know uh oh yeah, meddling yeah meddling mage as meddling mage comes into play, name an non card the name the named card can't be played exactly right you know um so there's a lot of cool interesting uh pieces to that in to, to like to to that interaction of what are ways where not only am I advancing my own board board state and game plan but I'm disrupting my opponent's game plan and like I was talking about with stacks earlier stacks is kind of oops, all disruption, the deck, right? It is a deck which only exists to disrupt the opponent, make their make their game plan kind of fall apart, um, and it's super unfun to play against because they typically don't win the game. They just stop you from winning the game and draw draw things out, like, insanely. But Hearthstone has weirdly kind of gone in the, uh, the opposite direction. It used to have zero disruption, right? There was no disruption in the game, or if there was, it was very niche and very, like, not powerful... <laughs> There was a card called <coughs> excuse me. There's a card called Feratu, which was a which was a warlock card. Nomeferatu comes into play, burns the top card of your opponent's deck, just removes it from the game, right? And there's compilations of like Feratu like things where you you Nomeferatu into burning the most important card in their deck, and that can like be be a win. But ultimately, that's a huge high roll, right? Like most of the time, you are going to hit their two-mana, two-three that they include to have a turn two play, not the single most important legendary that they include in their deck, right? Um, And... So, uh, but in recent, you know, in in recent months, we now have we have Theotar, we have Mutanus, um, we have a lot of different cards that are specifically built that all that will pull cards from your opponent's hand so they don't get the battle cry effects from them. Um, you know, you can pull out a really key combo piece and then kill it on the board. Um, you know, Warrior has that has that kind of capability. Warrior also has this capability called, ironically, disruptive spellbreaker um, that you you know you play it at the end of your turn it. Your opponent discards a spell from their hand, right? So now, for basically the first time, this is targeted. You know, sort of um, like hand disruption, deck disruption. Um, that's in multiple different classes that can do. They can do a bunch of that kind of thing. And I feel like the more I have played of collectible card games, the more those pieces of disruption matter to me. Um, and I think that it's actually a pretty core pillar of of the game. So it seems it sounds like to me like Heimdall, like Toy Stealer cards, would maybe be another good example. Um, uh, are good, good, good for the game. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I mean, it's it's weird because there there is relatively lo- low interaction across the board, right? Like, um, there's little, very little you do directly to your opponent. Um, like Electra destroys a random one cost on the other side of the board. Um, that's, like, the one that pops to mind the most. Um, most of those are just based around your own cards interacting with each other, so... Um, or, like, or like effects effects that are, like, not... That are, like, like Spider-Woman, 5-7, um, everyone across the board gets a minus one. Uh, Painkiller is 3-2, gets a plus one for everyone across the board, or across the location from him, right? Like, um... Uh, so like those are like those are like interacting with the the other cards but like not so much right like it's it, it's a, a yeah. lot of it's pretty oblique so um, and it
1: feels fair to interact on the board right the moment I play a minion in hearthstone yeah. that minion can die there are a million res- uh, the, removal effects but removal isn't disruption right yeah. because once something is on the board it's kind of fair game disruption is is, is stuff like combo um, or deck disruption where it's like well I I expect that my deck is. You know, like is a relatively safe spot for my cards, and then Nomfaratu burns the top card of it, and that's yeah. that's disrupting that. Or you know, I I expect that this card, which I'm saving, I'm holding in my hand. Well, now I've discarded it because he played a, a disrupt, a, you know, a disruptive spellbreaker, um, that you know, like that kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and Marvel doesn't have a ton of that, but um, I'll, I'll we'll see. I'll probably keep playing it for a while, so we'll see if uh, how it goes.
1: Um, okay yeah well we're coming up on our, on our hour um do you want to give uh any final uh, final thoughts on on marvel snap where, where are you at with it
0: um i think it's a fun casual game i don't know if i could get real serious about it but like it's one of those things where like it's like oh i'll play a game and it's fun um i have not yet throw or I rather i paid like three bucks for like the the you know beginner pack or whatever but like i haven't bought mm-hmm. the season pass or anything yet um not sure if i will um but yeah Uh, fun i'd i would recommend giving it a try just to like screw around with it um
1: yeah i i feel like i should and i honestly should have before today uh or like before last week or whatever the hearthstone meta was really shitty for a while and i literally was like i'm not playing again until they fix this this is like the worst meta i've ever experienced and i fucking hate it um which is Partially because the meta itself was bad in an overall way, but it was mostly because I was just really, I'm really mad because Warrior is so dog shit in Hearthstone right now. Um, And it just feels like, I I honestly feel like there was someone there who understood what made Warrior fun, and they quit a year ago. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like Because a year is too long. Because I did my my favorite version of Warrior ever, which was that armor, that incredible armor control Warrior that got nerfed two weeks after in in what I what I rated as the worst patch of the year. Um, <clears throat> that was also in twenty twenty two. It's not it's not like it's been that like, that long since that. Um that came out i think that was in like june or whatever but it's just like oh my god these last few expansions have been so bad for warrior that uh, that i really hate the hearthstone meta and i was like i'm just not even going to load you know like cuz normally i just i get on i do my like weeklies or whatever it's like a it's it just to complete the thing it feels good right um but uh yeah i don't know i i will probably give marvel snap a try at at some point I don't know. I never gave Runeterra a try. I never, I never got into Arena, but I feel like those are bigger asks. Yeah. Than like Snap.
0: so, see, Snap's really like they ease you in. Like they, they, they really nailed. I think the new player experience, uh, pretty well. Mm. Like, it like eases you in pretty, pretty well. And like, it's, it's not like they throw a bunch of stuff on your pile and throw you in the deep end, right? Like it's a simple enough game that like you kind of like build there. I, I might still say it's a little bit slow, but it's like still satisfying to get wins along the way. So
1: sure, okay.
0: Uh, yeah. Um, well,
1: how was your week? Tell me all about it.
0: What did I do this week? So, um, big highlight. Uh, I finished uh, tunic, which uh, oh nice, very fun game. Has this like? This might be a full full show at some point, but like the it has two endings, but it's not like what you know. It's like it's like the good ending and the bad ending, but it's like. One of those endings where it's, like, very obvious that the bad ending is not the ending you're supposed to get. But the way you're, you get, like, it's a Metroidvania. And the good ending is by solving a bunch of kind of, like, as-to-before-unseen, like, un- understood puzzles, right? Like, there's not a lot that shows you what you're supposed to do. Um, and these puzzles are, like, like... So, here, let me, let me see if I can, I can bring up a, an example real quick. Uh, do, 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 tunic house puzzle. Right, so. Yeah, let me see if I can, uh, pull this out real quick and, uh, do, view image, uh, open image tab. Right, let me see if I can throw this up real quick. Um. That is not what I meant to do. What what is playing noise? Something is playing noise on my side I do not know what.
1: I have not heard anything.
0: No, you can't hear it. Oh, I think it's... What is playing fucking noise on this side?
1: Uh... This game is bigger than I... This game is bigger than I thought. Um... A pretty full experience, thirty dollars.
0: All right, there we go. So uh, the the browser I had open <coughs> to like watch <laughs> Twitch. like I had a browser tab in like a an alternate scene that uh that we use sometimes for like streaming like stuff on Twitch. It just started playing Twitch when I when I clicked on it inside of OBS. To um, uh, do, but let me see if I can do. Uh this real quick. There we go. All right. So uh-uh. so I'm going to link this to you and I have it playing in on the on the thing. Uh to do um so if you look at this, and I should really put the browser behind us that way, people can uh, see us. Uh, do, do there we go? Um, you see? Do you, do you see this picture I sent you on Discord? Yeah. Um, so you see this this little cloth in the upper right hand corner with the line on it? Hmm. That is one of these puzzles, right? First of all, it's not clearly explained to you, but like you know, I can forgive that. But like essentially you press the arrow buttons and you follow this path. And there's a couple tricks to it. But this is a relatively simple and relatively nice version of it. This is one of the Okay. One of the twenty puzzles you have to solve to uh, to to beat the uh uh uh, uh to, to beat the game. Let me see if I can find a more difficult one. Uh do do, do. All right, so. Oh, come on. Uh, Image a new tab. So I'm going to send you another one and put it up for everyone at home to see. So you see this one. This one's like a medium difficulty one, right? You see, you see those lines in the background on the wall, on the back wall, and on the right wall. Yes, Th- yeah. <clears> those are <throat> the same pattern, and you have to kind of like, in like you know, figure out what the whole pattern. Oh, is I see. So yeah. Get to both of them. There's a lot of turns. It's aggravating, but I still think fair game. This one might be a little bit harder to show, but uh, let me see if I can find it real quick.
1: Just so I understand, are you supposed to walk that path where you like?
0: So, you, so you
1: make the turns.
0: So you press a button in the game and your character starts praying and then you use the d-pad to input directions, right? Oh!
1: I see. Yeah. Okay. And there's this bunch Yeah. Of st- okay. So
0: part of the charm of this game is that there's, like, you collect pages from the instruction manual and it's like, walk the golden path, share your wisdom to, like, break the cycle or whatever, right? Um. Then you've okay. got something like... There. This is the easiest way to 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 show you just because um I don't want to try and find like a, a gif um but you'll see you'll see the solution overlaid on this so spoiler warning for people who haven't played the game yet but you see that like watery reflection in the background yeah that is spinning like a reflection from water and you have to like follow it and like Figure it out. See, somebody else has gone and figured out what the path is and put it up on the internet. So I didn't have to do it. But, like, the moment I saw this puzzle, I was like, fuck this. Right? Like, I'm just looking up the fucking answers.
1: <laughs>
0: um, and, like, the, the craziest one is there's, like, there's, like, a golden tablet in the game that, like, um there's two of them. One of them is, uh, is, is whole. Right? And so you could just kind of do it. And that's fine. Right? One of them is broken into a bunch of pieces and they're scattered throughout the game world. And so you have to like take those pieces, like you can't move them in game, right? You have to see them, and like reconstruct them, like in your mind, right? To see the path, and that was, that was the one we where just like, fuck this, right? Like I'm not gonna fucking do this myself. Um, and, <laughs> and the biggest issue was is is this is nothing like the core, the core gameplay is a very competent and very fun Metroidvania, right? Sure. Um, that has like fairly difficult combat at some points, um, and this is just not that at all. Um, and so it frustrated. Like I, so the final fight, it only happens if you get the bad ending, and that was very difficult, and it was very satisfying to beat. I went back and did these puzzles, and I got angrier the longer I, I played because I started out trying to do them myself, and then I was like, fuck. You know, like I said, like I can't, I can't stand this anymore. Um, There's some very obtuse puzzles in this game that I'm fine with, because they're all optional content, but, like, this is the real, like, this is not, like, you know, like a Mass Effect different ending thing, right? This is, like, there is one true ending to this game, and it's locked behind this thing, and you, it's very obvious you have not done it right if you get the bad ending, so I found that frustrating. I think that there's, like, a longer, maybe a longer discussion for a full episode there, but
1: yeah, I, I'm definitely interested in the nature of like when is a good ending versus a bad ending satisfying. I have played games where I have gotten bad endings before, but it's still satisfying, and I don't care as much. Uh, like maybe a good example of this is like Fallout or something. You know, like at the end of Fallout, when you're doing the like the credits roll, um, and you're and you see some of the stuff you fucked up because they will sometimes be like, "Well, you went to this place and it and it sucked, and you kind of you kind of screwed the pooch on this one." That sucks to like hear, and you kind of wish things were different, but you know what are you gonna do, right? <coughs> my first my first playthrough for Mass Effect, um, I romanced Jack, and Jack fucking died in the final mission because I had fucked something up, um, and that sucks. You know that that's like a thing that's like a thing that sucks. And I went back because I love that game so much. I went back and I replayed it, and fixed that right um so i went into the the you know the final mission appropriately um and everything like that but you know uh like i I definitely i definitely get the feeling of like this thing feels shitty and incomplete
0: yeah i I wouldn't have bothered me like hollow knight has multiple endings right and like one the normal ending like is feels like a completion of the story Um, and then the secret endings are hidden behind more Hollow Knight mechanics, not something totally fucking unrelated, which is the thing that really bothered me about Tunic. Um, these, like, very obtuse puzzles. Um, Mm -hmm. other than that, I, uh, I started, so, my girlfriend does not really play video games. I, uh, we started playing It Takes Two, uh, the recommendation of Friend of the Castmonic. Um, it is very interesting to watch her just, like, pick up a controller and, like, not understand, like, like, conventions. Right, like she keeps accidentally hitting like b instead of a because she's like she's just like not used to it right like um other things like she gets like easily disoriented and like does not just like doesn't intuitively like intuitively grasp like moving moving yourself and then um uh and like moving the the camera at the same time um it's like. It's it's a it's a fun game, but it's like it's very interesting watching somebody who has never really played video games like interact with it and like all the things I take for granted just like her not understanding them. Um. Uh, but it's a fu- it's a fun experience. It's very forgiving, so I think it's good. It's, it's a very good game for like that kind of experience.
1: Um, yep, yep, I feel that for sure. Uh. uh
0: yeah. Um. <laughs> Arai, saying that that she has some more experience with you in the chat.
1: <laughs> well, we were playing. So, funnily enough, we were playing Rain World together. Uh, you know, one of the things. So, Downpour came out two weeks ago. Last week.
0: Uh two weeks yeah ago? yeah
1: recently the fuck when when was the nineteenth? Two weeks ago, let's say two weeks ago. Um, a week and a half ago. <clears throat> And we were playing some and we were playing some co-op and um, and Rain World is a really good fun game right <clears throat> but one of the things that's interesting about it is um, you know the game is built to be you are the lowest person on the food chain essentially um, the lowest the lowest character on the food chain is what I mean to say um and so uh you there's a lot of danger kind of around every corner and so playing in co-op is is kind of like fun and interesting because like it sort of upends that a little bit you're just really not supposed to have the ability to take two slug cats into into a fight with a lizard and that really changes the kind of like the dynamic of it um, but yeah anyway good job Arahe in the chat Rachel in the chat for uh, <laughs> for being for being good at being good at video games I guess.
0: Um, and then, I guess, uh, the only other thing, so, um, I finished season one of The Boys, and started season four of Community, um, which is interesting, because, like, I didn't remember season four as being bad as it is, um. Really? Yeah, like, I, I don't think it's terrible, but it's definitely, like, some episodes, especially early in the season, feel like they're, like, they feel like they're an episode Somebody would have made as like a dream sequence inside of community, if that makes sense. Like this is like
1: there's one episode I like in there, which is the puzzle, uh, the the puppets episode with the air with the hot air balloon, uh, the little musical yeah. episode. We, we just um, we just watched that one.
0: Fucking Jason Alexander is like that's the one thing for this season. It's just like a bunch of mm-hmm. like like um get like uh the one where Abed does the two dates thing, right? Like. It's Brie Larson. Is the girl he like falls
1: for? Yeah, Brie. La- yeah, no. Well, you. So, the the Russo brothers came from Community. They did Modern Warfare. Like they were television directors. They were they were not movie directors until um, until Marvel. And the um, somebody's gonna write a book about this one day. The pipeline of Community to the the biggest movie of all time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, is wild because because they directed Modern Warfare, which is you know the, the Call of Duty episode, or I'm sorry, the, the PayPal episode in <clears throat> episode in season one, right? And they would and they would come back to work a bunch on community. They worked with Dan Harmon a bunch. Then they get hired to do Winter Soldier. So this is their first foray into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they bring in Dan Harmon to punch up the script. And he writes, like, a bunch of, like, jokes and stuff. And he actually is one of the people that kind of injects Marvel humor into, like, Marvel or whatever. Um, This process would repeat a couple of other times. It repeats in Civil War. It repeats with, um, he he also did sort of, like, a ghost pass on, like, uh, like Doctor Strange or whatever. uh, Culminating, obviously, in, in Infinity War and Endgame. Um, which are these like insanely like huge. And it is crazy to me. It is crazy to me to think about how like community, this like beleaguered show that was on the verge of cancellation every like every season uh, is the is the thing that like launched the greatest, most powerful, you know film franchise in in modern popular culture, right? like <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, no, I mean um. Yeah, the, the so I have also just finished uh, a show. I finished New Girl. Have you ever watched New Girl? No. Have I ever talked about my my uh, deep abiding love for New Girl on, on this so. podcast? Tell me. Okay, about it. yeah, so New, New Girl is a show. Sorry, do you know who Jake Johnson is? He's kind of the most famous person. Well, so Zoe Deschanel, no, like, Deschanel is it. She she's the most famous. Right? Like, yeah, Jake Johnson is like the, the most favorite guy that came out of the show. Zoe Deschanel is the most famous person that went into it, essentially. Um, but, you know, it's a show about, um, you know, four thirty 30-something kind of, like, friends in Los Angeles. They're all in a loft together. She's a teacher. Uh, this, the guy that Jake plays, he plays Nick. I'm sorry, what's up?
0: This show is the, the one that, like, coins the term Manic Pixie Dream Girl, right?
1: It doesn't... Well, not really. Uh, I mean, she is definitely, like, playing that type, but she is the archetypal... Like, Manic Manic Pixie Dream Girl comes from a bunch of movies in the early 2000s. Okay. Um, Like, Garden State is maybe the best example of these, right? Um, And she definitely has that kind of, like, Manic Pixie energy, but I wouldn't... But she's not really, like, a dream girl. The, the, The part about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl that people find frustrating in 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 a derisive way is that they're kind of a plot device for like a sad sack loser guy to get over himself and like get a girlfriend or whatever um and i i think that's like that's fair there's a whole bunch of these in the in like the the early 2000s um but uh and she was one of them um and then she was in 500 dates of summer which is kind of uh I would, I would say it's a deconstruction of a panic, Manic Pixie Dream Girl movie, but people misinterpret that movie all the time. Um, where, you know, he is, the, the character in the movie is expecting her to be a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but at the end of the day, she's kind of a real person who has real, like, wants and needs, and he's not meeting those, and he is betraying the trust that she puts in him and like that's kind of how their like relationship unravels that's a great movie by the way but people like I said, it's it's like it's like pickle rick people misunderstand that shit all the time um because it's kind of doing the like straight plate satire plate straight thing um anyway new girl is about you know these four people in los angeles one of them is like moving between jobs all the time one of them is a bartender you know who dropped out of law school one of them is a like a mid-level you know corporate do yeah, like Jewish guy from from New York um and uh they and I have weirdly connected to this show more than many of its uh, many of its ilk just because it is so weirdly Los Angeles it's a very Los Angeles show I guess in in the way that like you know Seinfeld is a very New York show, right? Um, and I think some of these are and some of these aren't. Friends, for instance, I don't think is a very New York show, even though it is set in New York. And Central Perk is in New York and they're in these apartments that are across. The, right. Like, really, Friends could kind of be in any city, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, How I Met Your Mother is another example of this. That could really be anywhere. They're technically in New York as well. But, like, you know, it's not like it's not like they're rooted in, like, that city and its culture in the way that Seinfeld Boy, what a New York show! <laughs> like yeah. that, you know that Seinfeld is, and I'm sure, like I don't know, maybe people in the chat could figure out better examples than than I'm thinking of off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, I would probably say Seinfeld is like the best one. But holy fuck, New Girl is just such a Los Angeles show. There's so many things about it, and I'm like, how did they get this? There are so many things about it that are so uniquely Los Angeles. It fucks me up. Like for instance, all four people. In the loft, they they have one apartment, and in in Los Angeles, zoning like laws say that if you have an apartment complex, you you have to guarantee one parking space for every apartment in your complex, right? That's a that's a law, right? Um, it's actually one of the reasons why there aren't a lot of like super big high rise apartments in L.A. because you need a super big giant Park parking life. garage in order to support that. Um, and there's a whole episode that just revolves around they figure out that there is a parking lot and one of the four of them is going to get it and like one of them parks and like they're like they're parking on the street and they're negotiating all of these like roads and I'm like this is only applicable to an LA person but I've lived that life because in our apartment we used to have two cars one one parking spot and I used to have to find street parking and it was a nightmare and I like learned all of these like intricate whatever's about about street parking. There's a whole episode about taking your friends to the airport which is such a such an la thing about like negotiating the the way in which people go to lax for to fly home for the holidays, right? Because, you know, like the city is huge and traffic is is whatever and who's driving what and where and where are they parking and oh, and we actually live near LAX, so a lot of people will come to our apartment before they like head out to, you know, like head out to the airport, like that kind of a thing. It's just like there's so many of those those little tiny, you know, things that happen. Honestly, to be fair, there's a <laughs> there's a show or there's an episode where they get invited to Prince's house. Which, like, at the time when I watched it, I didn't think... I was like, this is just kind of like a gimmick to have Prince in your... You know, everybody likes Prince. He's a fun guest star. We're gonna... He's gonna show up for the show. That's fine. But actually, I kind of think it is more of an L.A. thing. Just because, like, I've been to weird actors' houses before... That just happened over this weekend, which we're. I'm not going to go into detail on the podcast, obviously, but it's just like that's actually kind of not a super uncommon, not a super uncommon thing to to have to have happen. Anyway, the whole the whole point of this is I I watched all of it, and it made me feel like there's this unwritten genre of shows which are twenty something like friendship sitcoms, right? Of which. Parks and Rec community. I think the office is maybe um maybe not in this in the same way that some of these others are. Um but like I wanna I wanna say the office obviously Friends is probably the prototype of this. The part of me wants to go back and say some of these other sitcoms from like the nineties, but I actually don't think that any of them quite hit it right in the way that in the in the right way that like Friends does. Um but like that it, it, it kind of like exploded outwards and I feel like now there are a million of them. Um, and I sort of want I I like I wanna see I wanna see somebody like study this shit. Do you know what I mean? In the same yeah. way that we study, like, whatever, like, cinema. <laughs> like, action movies. In the same way, somebody, like, breaks down the progression of, like, superhero movies over the last 20 years. Somebody needs to make a video essay about how Friends became, how I Met Your Mother became, you know.
0: I I, I actually do have, girl. like, a thought on this in that, like, I feel like for, like, the sitcom, um, the sitcom genealogy, like... There are there are two basic types, and the progenitors are Friends and Seinfeld. Where Friends is like the, fr- really? the Friends is like the friendly, everyone's a good person, you love everybody on the show thing. Seinfeld is everyone's a shitbag. bag. Um, I think Seinfeld has had less kind of like descendants, but like it's always sunny. Um, mm. uh, oh, what's what's uh curb Your Enthusiasm? Um, yeah, Arrested
1: Development. Um, oh, Arrested Development is a great. Well, so okay. So to be fair, I think there are some that don't apply. the The parameters of this genre is that they are all the same age, and it is about the friend group. And uh, for instance, I would actually not. I would actually say Arrested Development doesn't count because Arrested Development is about the family. Right? No, no, no yes. Yeah, so, and, so
0: the, the the thing I was pointing was it's like that's also the Seinfeld lineage to me, right? Like
1: oh yes, I see, I see, I see. Yeah.
0: Um. But yes, I I see what you're saying. I think that's like a, a narrower subgroup that makes sense because like I would also like. In the kind of broader sense of like the friendly sitcom, right? Like I think Modern Family is also an inheritor of that, but obviously doesn't fall into the friend group.
1: Yeah, sometimes. no, they, well, this is, I, and and so I kind of think all sitcoms are built on either friend groups or, like, or so, actually I, I I would say three. Here's here's what here's what I'm taking, taking my claim on. There are family sitcoms. Right, so married with children is maybe the best example of these, and I feel like these have been going on. Cosby yeah. Show, whatever, right? Where it is about the core unit of this family and what and kind of what they're doing and how they're 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 working. Then we got workplace sitcoms, right? So for instance, The Office is a great example of this, but but I wouldn't say that it's not a progenitor of any of these, right? Um, um it, <clears throat> it might be in the sense that like, I feel like there's.
0: I want to say there's maybe some sort of Britishness aspect of that that, that comes in from it, right? Because it is originally a British show, and I feel like I feel like
1: so. I w- I would agree on that level, but the the workplace nature of it, I would actually say like for instance, Cheers is a workplace sitcom in my in my mind. Yeah, right?
0: and like or like the, there's the one where like David Spade is like a photographer. Yes, shoot me. just shoot me. Yeah,
1: just shoot me. Yeah, where where that I actually just watched the pilot episode of that. Or like the, I think the the I feel like
0: the Drew Carey show is kind of like a. Um, like,
1: work, oh like yeah, workplace because it,
0: it focuses on his office quite a bit, right? With like Craig Ferguson, mm-hmm. I think it's Craig Ferguson as like the cross-dressing boss. Um, uh, versus, yeah, versus and then- something like King of Queens, which is much more focused on the family.
1: Um, yeah. Or, or for instance, another one that's weirdly focused on the family, but in, in an unusual way, is Frasier, right? Frasier, I would say, because it's about him, his brother, and his dad. Right. It's not like the nuclear family, but that is a show that is fundamentally built off of, you know, the 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 this we, we are exploring the dynamic of this family sort of sort of unit. And then there's sort of friends, which is all, everybody of the same age group, and all of the different pieces of their lives that, that they touch, but I actually think that it can be wildly different. So for instance, Golden Girls is a friends is a friend group sitcom, right? Um, another one would be that 70s show, friend group sitcom, even though they're they're teenagers, right? And so you have the teenagers version, you have like the 20, 30 somethings version, you have the the, the old people version, but they're all built around we are friends of a similar age or whatever. Um and this is this is like what we're orienting this around. Right in the chat, it's driving me nuts. You've already wa- you've already watched all of sex in the city. S- sex and the city, buddy, does the city need to be its own character to qualify? Only if that city is New York, the greatest city in the world. <laughs>
0: So I, I, I anyway, I definitely see what you're saying. New, I feel like there's also like yeah. echoes of that, um, like the four humors thing that people talk about, right? Like, but that applies to like, but like Seinfeld. Seinfeld is four friends. It's the four humors, right? Sex and City is also mm. supposed to follow this. The Ninja Turtles, um, um, maybe you could even apply it to like Always Sunny, right? Like, obviously, it's like a ve- like it's it's all jackasses,
1: but like, right? Now, now I'm interested. The four. The four humors. Is there uh, it's like what the would leader... be the, Sein, Seinfeld would, would be this. Sorry. Oh, I see. I, oh, I I know that the four temperament ensemble. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. know, you have emotionally stable and introverted, emotionally stable and extroverted, emotionally unstable and extroverted, emotionally unstable and introverted. Okay, that's actually kind of hilarious. Yeah. I do see that. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm
0: not good at like naming them, but it's like you know, like Kramer is Michelangelo. Leonardo is Seinfeld. I think Raphael's <laughs> supposed to be Elaine and like Donatello is uh, maybe I, I I always I always get the those those last couple ones mixed up but like I feel like you could be like you know Charlie is Michelangelo, Dennis is Leonardo. Um I guess uh uh what's what's uh, D would be D Donatello? I guess. I guess that makes Mac. I guess Mac Raphael. I, I think I think it's there. I think it's there. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah, okay. One is extroverted, cheerful, and people oriented. Um extroverted, short tempered, and task oriented. Introverted, brooding and task oriented, and then introverted, quiet, and people oriented. Apparently. I'm reading I'm reading a thing on T V tropes. The 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 fine wisdom of TV of TV tropes. I, I was, anyway, I don't really have any more to say about New Find World. It, yeah. New Girl, besides, it is the easiest. It's like it's such an easy show to like to watch and sink into. Um, and I feel like this level of show had uh, anyway. I'll, The final piece of this is that this level of show has taken off in such a way, I think because of the advent of binging and like podcasts and like the idea of like a friendship show. Like, for instance, something that I've something I've seen on like TikToks and like on Twitter is people will talk about how the like finishing a TV show can be hard sometimes because it feels like you're losing these friends. Do you ever feel that way? I, I have felt that way. I, there are some mm. shows that are hard for me to watch to their completion because uh, because of that feeling.
0: I feel like I've only ever felt that way about Community. Um, just because, like... And, like, this latest watch has been, like, it kind of like it reminds me a lot of, like, my college days, which I haven't been in for a long time. Um, yeah. Um, but, like, in general, no. But I also don't watch a lot of, kind of, like... Of that kind of show, of that kind of like, yeah, um, yeah, I
1: have absolutely felt that way about com- community. Is maybe the best example of this, uh, where you know, I just, I just want to sink into that world for as long as possible. Um, and when it's over, it feels like a little, a little hollow. Um, that's also happened to me for Parks and Rec, um, which I, you know, I'm not even a huge park, Parks and Rec person, but it's just really easy to just kind of get. Sucked into, um, you know, like sucked into that, uh, sucked into that show or whatever. Um, you no, know,
0: that might, that might apply to me too. just cause like I feel like I've watched all the way through Parks and Rec twice, but I've never watched the last season. Um,
1: yeah, and the, and the, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, uh, I don't know. There, there's so, there's something there's something about it. It, it. Maybe it's harder in Community because in Community they shot every final ep- season finale like it was the final episode of the show. You know what I mean? Um, which I think kind of affects these yeah. these sorts of things. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I felt that, there we go.
0: I felt that way a little bit about 30 Rock too, which which Oh, I absolutely way, felt that way about 30 Rock. Which by the way is is maybe the only one that competes for the New York New York show title, I think.
1: Yes, absolutely. 30 Rock is a New York show. 30 Rock is oh my god, maybe one of the most <laughs> New York shows actually cuz there's so many little things that, that that it gets right. Like standing in the line at the... there's a whole bit about standing in the line at the hot dog stand with a rude guy. Like behind you, or whatever. I've been there. That, and that's a, that's like a new. Oh, <laughs> that's a great. That's a great New York show. I didn't even think about Thirty Rock. That's a workplace one. Yeah, um, yeah interestingly, true. interestingly enough. Um, yeah, it's
0: a more of a workplace one than like Parks because like Parks and Rec, Rec is like ostensibly a workplace one, but it feels like it's almost more of a friends one at, at a lot of levels.
1: Yeah, like, that, well, so that's exactly. I think it started as a workplace one and was sort of centrally oriented around a workplace one, well, it was, but it would eventually grow into a a just true friends one. Yeah, well,
0: it was kind of like a bad knockoff office, right? For like the first yeah. two seasons until they like you know transcended that and like became their own thing right because like um but yeah um yeah uh have have you done anything else with your week uh
1: i have i have watched some other movies and stuff that we could talk about maybe i don't know i watched burnt and margin call have you heard of these movies they're both on netflix Uh, and i just watched them just because i have not margin call might be one of the strangest films i have ever watched is a it is a it's a thriller from 2011 that is about the people who like the investment bankers who identified the oncoming collapse of the 2008 financial crash um you know with the with the you know the subprime mortgage crash the, basically the night of it it happening and walking through their thought process as the person who figured it out is like, hey, actually, we need to do something about it. And then they fly in the CEO in the middle of the night and he says, tomorrow morning, we're going to sell everything. And then everyone realizes that as soon as he does that, it's it's a nondescript, by the way, it's a nondescript investment bank. They don't actually name the bank. Um, I don't know. I, I think it is supposed to be. Like Bear Stearns, J.P. Morgan, something like that. Um, one one of these banks that did it, but but like basically the first the first the first time that a that a real institution figured out that these mortgages are going to collapse out from under under them and they and th- they're holding on to them because they're doing sw- swaps and trades and stuff like that and he's like no we have to get rid of all of these because when they collapse they will take down our company if they if they if they do but the act of selling them off triggers essentially the financial collapse because all, all of a sudden these trades are like these trades are going uh, are going live, and it is maybe the strangest thing I've ever watched in my life because like it treats the characters as the like the good the good guys. It's weird to say good guys because like there is some stuff in there about how terrible these people feel about like the oncoming collapse of whatever, right? Uh, but like there's this whole thing that Paul Bettany's character. Goes into where he talks about how he took home two and a half million dollars last year, but it's actually not all that much because of all the money he spends on his mortgage and his whatever and all of this stuff. And like, it's i it's weird. I don't know if it's supposed to be sympathetic. I thought it was, I, I thought it was supposed to be a sympathetic thing where, oh, he's an investment banker, but he's living paycheck to paycheck, just like the rest of us. And I was like, two and a half million dollars, bud? Like, what, what? And, and anyway, the only the only good character in the movie. The reason I clicked on this movie was because of Stanley Tucci, maybe one of my favorite actors of all time. He's actually not 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 even maybe, easily one of my favorite actors of all time. I love everything that he's in. He is the risk assessor who figures out that this is happening, and that it is set on the day that he gets he gets fired. Um, and what and once they realize that he was right, they go they like go to his house. And they and they, and they try and rehire him or whatever and he says uh, and he's obviously really good at math he, he has this whole monologue about how before he came to to work at the company um, he was an engineer and he built bridges and he built one and he built one bridge that he's really proud of which is this bridge over the Ohio River in West Virginia and he starts rattling off the miles he's like, oh this cut out 35 miles of driving to get around this this river. You know, uh, to get to, to get to from one side to the other. And if you think about it, it's saving, you know, and he's just doing numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers. Um, and the numbers part is like is like neat and satisfying because obviously he's like good at the mental math it, and, and that's like a, that's like a fun little character trait. But the thing that he says he's like, that's real. But I don't think anything I ever did like working at this company, essentially this this bank, none of that's real and uh, and that's maybe the most like emotionally fulfilling character who of someone who essentially is just moving money around to create more you know to create more money on Wall Street kind of realizing that it it's you know like you're not actually building anything there's nothing to like grasp onto and be like I did I did this thing right and i was like that's actually kind of a neat insight and it's buried in like the fifth character down right yeah. anyway
0: yeah, there, there's there's I have read um i read a, I read a book about kind of like how like financialization of like the workforce is like kind of a like because those jobs are so well paying and so prestigiously like they're kind of like a brain drain on the rest of uh, rest of kind of industry um because yep. like they're not like like you said like it that they like purely don't create any value but it's like a lot of it is just kind of like manipulating like it's Managing money instead of like doing things that like for those people to, like manage money about right like
1: yeah um, yeah like if my dad was here I mean, you know obviously my dad works on Wall Street if my dad was here he would make the argument that the money that these people manage you know like it is part of a unit it is not part of an individual one individual broker is not creating anything right what Saitoji is saying is correct all he's doing is buying sell or buying low selling high. Making making a profit that way, right? And there's and there's plenty of guys that do this, right? But like obviously those banks don't just sit on that money; they do stuff with it, yeah. right? They you know VCs they they fund, um, you know they they do mortgages, they do whatever it is, yeah, it right? That that so are that, like, the real tangible things. Yeah, you know, like at the end right? of
0: the day, like the reason like a bank can give you a mortgage is because like there is. You know, other money that are coming in place that gives them the collateral yeah. to like lend you the money to buy that buy a house, right? Like,
1: yeah, it is just, it, but it is just incredible. It is what an incredible yeah. misread of the room to make a movie, and this is in 2011, by the way, to make a movie in 2011 about this crisis, taking the, a sympathetic view of Wall Street, essentially. Um, I was just like, <laughs> wow, you know, like what I, I don't know. To me, the, the movie kind of sucked. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it if, in case anybody is thinking about going and actually like play, like, like watching this or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I wanted to mention it. There we go. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we're kind of at the end of time. So is there anything else particularly you want to talk about? You want to wrap it up?
1: Uh, yeah, I got nothing else on my mind. All
0: right, well, if you'd like to email us about any of the things we talked about on this podcast, you email, email us at games at gmail.com or podcast at com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash somederpsplaygames or youtube.com slash at games where these go out live simultaneously now. Um, uh, uh, rate and review us wherever you find podcasts. They'll be in your podcatcher somewhere. Um, that's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything else you're looking to promote?
1: Uh... No, no, I'm not. I'm not promoting anything else. It's like the, the first time I'm not promoting some, like, Rain World thing. <laughs> Fair enough. So, no, I have nothing else to promote.
0: All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to say, until next time to your listeners.
1: Until next time, loyal listeners.